0: You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it
1: sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary. Professor Oblivion. Do you think erotic TV shows and violent TV shows lead to desensitization, to dehumanization?
2: The television screen has become the retina of the mind's eye. Yes. That's why I refuse to appear on television, except on television. Of course, Oblivion is not the name I was
0: born with. That's my
2: television name. Soon, all of us will have special names. Names designed to cause the cathode ray tube to resonate.
0: Hi guys, this is Jesse with the Voluntary Vixens and I am here today with Jessica Green again and I asked her to come on because um, I've been watching the, the horror movies from your what is it? Um,
2: Hundred Nights of Horror. Yes,
0: Hundred Nights of Horror and my favorite movie or well, I can't say it's my favorite because I have many favorites, but one of my all-time favorites is Videodrome. And I wanted to talk with somebody about it. and just kind Cronenberg of
2: get... classic.
0: Yeah. And just get some, you know, just kind of get some deep talking going on about a, a classic movie. So um, I was going to start off here with just a IMDB <laughs> explanation of the movie. Um, and I picked this one because it was the funniest. Um, it says sleazy low-life cable TV operator <laughs> Max Wren discovers a snuff broadcast called Videodrome. But it is more than a TV show. It's an experiment that uses regular TV transmissions to permanently alter the viewer's perceptions by giving them brain damage. Max is caught in the middle of the forces that created Videodrome and the forces that want to control it. His body itself turning into the ultimate weapon to fight this global conspiracy so um i thought that it was just kind of a, a good uh, overview of what the movie is about um first i guess i wanted to kind of get your do you have any like any thoughts about the movie or i guess like what are your thoughts i guess and how it may have reflected the culture at the time because this movie was made in 1983
2: yeah that was the year the year i was born
0: and i feel like when i'm watching it it's like even though it's definitely got dated aspects to it um, i feel like the themes of the movie still very much reflect what's going on right now
2: oh sure yeah there were lots of parallels um immediately in one of the very first scenes they're doing the television interview and you hear the uh Professor Oblivion, mm-hmm. he talks about how in the future we'll all have names that inflame the cathode ray. And I thought, mm-hmm. God, isn't that just like a Twitter handle? And there were lots of little parallel things that I was like, um, they have no idea how right they are. They're just looking at it through the lens of the technology at the time, which was video. And mm-hmm. I'm sure they thought that was going to like expand. um, into more technological realms. They couldn't have foreseen the internet, of course. So they envisioned this world where you were able to like physically interact with videos. And mm-hmm. in a way, you know, the internet, the internet itself is like this interactive television. Like who sits down and watches TV anymore when you have a plethora of individuals that you can go interact and romp and, you know, basically have fun with um, that interact with you. So I mm-hmm. thought there were you know, tons of parallels for people who wanted to see them for sure. Yes. And I was looking, <laughs> this was my first screening of the movie ever. So I was like, okay, we're going to talk about this on the podcast tonight. Um, I need to like have some observational uh, anecdotes to, um, you know, bring to the table. And one thing I, I, I'm interested to know because they didn't mention this in the the preview that you just read, mm-hmm. but I got this sense from the movie that not only were they wanting to alter people's perceptions by causing them brain damage, but they wanted to brain damage specific types of people. People they saw as degenerates or people who needed to maybe be removed from the society. Like the guy, oh, okay, you get off on watching these like torture films and murder films. There's something wrong with you, clearly. And so, you know, didn't you kind of, deserve it didn't you kind of deserve to get the brain tumor because you were watching these in the first place and i was like oh wow
0: (laughs) yes definitely so one of the things that um first like when you open when you just start watching the movie like it opens with this woman on or actually it opens with like a broadcast saying uh i think their show the the channel that max wren He's the head of the sh- of the channel is Civic TV, mm-hmm. so it says Civic TV.
2: The TV
0: you go to bed so you take with, to bed right? with
2: you, yeah, yeah. I noticed that too.
0: It has a picture of a man, kind of like laying in bed, but the man kind of looks like he's kind of drunk or high or something, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then it and then it shows this. Um, you know attractive woman talking to Max saying wake up Max today is the 23rd or something like that you mm-hmm. have a meeting today <laughs> at such and such hotel and you know and i just found it interesting so it's like already like these people like in the movie um are very dependent on the television for right making appointments for waking up you know they it, it appears as though he has a TV program to come on at a certain time of the day to wake him up mm-hmm. and maybe he watched the, he keeps it on until he goes to sleep. So you kind of that's she, at least the feeling I got.
2: The secretary shows up at one point with his morning tapes and was like, here mm-hmm. are your tapes for the morning. Where, mm-hmm. you know, in the first scene you see her and she's sort of reading out his appointments for the day. And you get the sense that this is meant to be interactive. Or at least mm-hmm. that's what I got from it. Like, you're mm. almost meant to sense that he is, like, directly communicating with her. She's directly communicating with whoever is watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an aspect I picked up on throughout the movie is that, yes. you know, further and further we go down the path, further we go down the plot, you start to understand, hey, this is about more than, um, just the technology of video as we have it now. It's like we've found this, we're, we're in this future dystopia where we're edging on uh, videos being able to, like, control your mind.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I do remember, you know, I'm pretty old, so <laughs> I remember the 90s as a kid, um, there being videos that promised that they could hypnotize you or that, mm-hmm. you know, if you watched it, you could get this effect from it. So that was something that was present in the culture, I think, when video technology was the peak the pinnacle like do you remember your parents getting a vcr yeah i do too it was kind my dad of a big my deal. dad's an
0: engineer so he he was like the first of all of my friends parents to get a computer and get a vcr and he even had like a he bought he got a uh, camera to record movies with and yeah. everything
2: <laughs> and so in 1983 uh video technology is like you know home video technology the technology had not gotten there yet Like, our dads didn't have VCRs yet, so this is, like, cutting-edge stuff, this video technology to them, and so to translate it, I think, up to 2020, you have to say, well, this is the internet, like, this is clearly, you know, and then whatever whatever comes next after this, which I don't even think that we know what the internet is yet, Mm -hmm. like, it's still kind of in its infancy and we don't really know what it's going to do to the culture and to like us as human beings like i certainly uh rely on it very heavily much the same way that max relies on his videotapes
0: yes and and so when you're being introduced to max like you realize he kind of has this obsession or this addiction to the television and then you see him kind of getting up and doing his routine, and I noticed right away like he's a bachelor. Obviously, his house looks like a bachelor lives there. There's like open boxes of leftover pizza. He was eating pizza. pizza.
2: He dipped his yeah. pizza in the coffee. Did you see that? Yeah, was I was like so that gross. is a revolting man thing to do. <laughs>
0: And he's looking at these pictures, uh, like these pornographic pictures, and he's kind of like doing that while he's doing his morning routine. So you automatically mm-hmm. kind of get a feel for like what this guy is about. Yeah. Um. And then he goes to this meeting with um these um these Japanese men. I guess that they're talking about this film that he has the pictures from, mm-hmm. and they're trying they're introducing him to like a soft core, It looks like a soft core pornography. Mm-hmm that's like Japanese samurai themed or something like that. So you see him having a meeting with them and then he's in the board meeting with his, um, I guess his board members and they're talking about this film and if they can use it on their channel and you know, this 1983. So they're saying a lot of just racist stuff (laughs) about um, orientals and quote unquote. So you kind of, you automatically get a feel like, not only is Max like this type of person that is inundated with these images all day long and he that's what he does for a living. Like he's
2: then, numb to it. Like yeah. he smear he like smears some pizza grease on it by accident and he rubs it off and he kinda laughs. Yeah. But um the
0: people he works with are also sort of in the similar vein as him. They're not exactly yeah. like these, you know, classy guys, right? So um
2: One interesting point about that scene with the Japanese, um, I guess, director, whoever would have been trying to sell him the movie. It's a 12 part video series that they're trying to sell him. And he starts to pull out the first tape. And Max says, no, no, no. I want to see the last tape. He goes, hey, but you're going to miss all the story, all the buildup. And he's like, no, no, my audience is only going to see the last tape. And that lets mm-hmm. you know right away, like, I want the most extreme imagery that you have.
0: Yes. And um, I thought that was, I, I, I think that's a good um, thing that you picked up on. I, I didn't pick that up right away.
2: It yes. also reminds me of um, Kubrick's um, Clockwork Orange, that they were mm-hmm. obsessed with looking at ultra-violence, imageries yes. of ultra-violence. So this was something that was really, really concerning to people back in like the 80s and even the 90s when we were kids. Was oh, this like yeah. pa- panic that imagery was going to turn the children into psychotic killers?
0: Mm hmm. S- that was like at the sa- height of satan- Satanic Panic, I
2: think. Satanic I think was in the panic. panic. Right.
0: So, you know, you had like all these moms who were like worried that if their kids listened to, um, what is it, a Judas Priest record backwards, that they were going to be possessed by satan
2: (laughs) or if god forbid you saw a nipple or something you know like (laughs) that was the worst thing could ever happen is you saw depictions of sex or you know anything like that but war we can we can watch as much more as we want to that's just fine (laughs)
0: that's true all right so after he has this meeting with the board members about this japanese softcore porn basically Mm mm-hmm Then he's he's called in to meet with his friend Harlan, who he Harlan runs the this illegal um, satellite dish that picks up frequencies from all over the world. Right.
2: Harlan is the equivalent of what would be a hacker today or like somebody who like frequents the dark web or something Mm -hmm. that we don't have access to. Because like in that day, very much videos were not something that were in everybody's house in 1983. That was like the cutting edge of technology.
0: Right. So Harlan finds this scrambled like 50 something second um footage of somebody being tortured in a in like a red room.
2: A woman, and, a, a yes. naked woman being tortured in a red room. And
0: it was just it's kind of disturbing. By the way, the guy who plays Max Wren is um James Woods. James Woods, yeah.
2: <laughs> Who's on Twitter all the I know. time. And I'm watching him in this movie. Like, how am I supposed to look you in the eye ever again?
0: I know. It's like not. I know. And I realized I've seen this movie so many times. And then I came back to watch it this year. And I'm like, it's James Woods this whole time.
2: Yeah, it really was James Woods the whole time.
0: All right. So um, anyway, so he's watching this 50 second footage of this straight up torture. And he's like mesmerized Mm -hmm. his eyes are like locked to the screen i noticed that and he says he makes this phrase this is the future of television yeah so he you know tasks harlan with you need to find clear images let's make videotapes of this let's find out where this is broadcasting from and um i think at first they think it's broadcasting from malaysia right
1: yeah
0: um so that night i think that like from that night he starts having some like pretty you know vivid dreams and hallucinations kind of but you know nothing that he's really you know questioning yet um and then i think that isn't the next scene like where he's on that talk show
2: right he's
0: on that talk show it's sort of like a donahue-esque like type show and he's one of the guests um and there's Dr. Oblivion is there on a television screen. And then Nikki, what's the girl's name?
1: Nikki. Yeah, Nikki Black. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Nikki Brand.
1: Oh, that's Which is close. played by Deborah
0: Harry. Yeah. If you guys know who that is. And that was like peak Deborah Harry. She's yeah, absolutely dream gorgeous. girl. 80s
2: dream girl. So like the most sexy, hot girl they could come up with. And let me movie. just
0: say, like, that movie, I was like, back in the 1980s, like, I would have been a supermodel.
1: Because,
0: <laughs> the like, these people that they were calling, like, super hot and everything had crooked-ass crooked teeth and, you know, they're, all yeah. their pores are visible.
2: I and thought I'm about like, that. I was like, she looks so much older than mm-hmm. a woman of her age would be depicted now.
0: hmm I was still thinking, like, Deborah though, she's still killing it, even yeah. though, like, she's killing it. So. All the boys,
2: yeah, all the boys loved. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> she's wearing this like red dress and stiletto heel heels. She's like she's looking her best on the show, and you know Max notices this, right? So the topic of the show is it our our television channels like Max's, which his channel is known for showing soft core porn to like, what was it, ultraviolence? Ultraviolence, yeah, said.
2: torture.
0: Yeah, so his channel, you know, shows all of that all of that stuff. And the question is like, you know, should we allow this mm-hmm. on, you know, it, should this be allowed and is this okay? And, and kind of asking Max, like, well, why do you have all this stuff? And he was like, well, we're a small channel and this is what the, this is what our audience wants. So this is what we're going to give them. Right. So, um, but the whole time he's on that show, he's also flirting with Deborah Harry yeah. or.
2: Disrespectfully to the other guest of the program. Cause he ta- you can hear him talking to her while, the, right. in, while the host uh, asks uh, oblivion questions. You can hear him in the background flirting with the girl.
0: Yeah. Like, and I remember the host is asking Nikki, you know, well, what are your thoughts on, on this? And she says, we live in a in overstimulated times, and you know she's reiterating that. And he was like, "Well, to be honest, your dress is very stimulating. It's very bright red. It's really catching my attention right now." And then she replies, "That is true." She's like, "I live," or she says something like, "I am very overly stimulated as well." Like she mm-hmm. kind of makes that point. Like so it's kind of like they're having like this online. She thrown she's
2: throwing it out on the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: she's not. She's not rejecting his advances whatsoever.
2: As a woman, I was like, oh, okay, go get it. (laughs) She was like, hey, we're going to bang after this, right? That's what that was. Yeah. FYI, for anyone watching that movie who doesn't know how to pick up on signals, that was a signal. Yes. (laughs) I am a very overstimulated person. Okay. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) And she she was.
2: Yeah, she um, was.
0: They also interviewed, um, you know, what what was interesting is Professor Oblivion, this character that's there as well, he is on the stage on a television screen. He is not there in person. And what's so interesting is he's like turning his head to look at the at the people while he's on the television screen. So it's almost like he is there. And he's interacting with like he even though he's on a television screen, he's fully present and interacting
2: Which to us, we have to realize the time warp we're in because to us, someone on a screen looking at another person on the screen, like it's, we're living that interactive world that to Mm -hmm. someone in the 80s would have seemed ultra futuristic. Yeah. And so as I was watching that, I was aware of that. I was like, this seems perfectly normal to me that you should be able to turn and look at people. But I realized (laughs) to them, it was like, holy cow, how is he doing that through a video? Like...
0: I don't know. And he he had a quote that is so powerful. He says, the television screen is the retina of the mind's eye. And I thought that was just so powerful and interesting because you start to see, like, the vision that he has for television. And as he's mm-hmm. talking about te- the television to the host and to the guests, I guess, you know, you kind of get a really, um, I guess, a, a clearer picture of, like, he doesn't think that television is a bad thing that it actually can be used for something good. And it's powerful and interesting. And he's, you know, fully into it. And he, that's what he says. He's like, that is why I will never, I will never show up in person. I will always be present on the, on a television screen. And he, and then he even goes further to say that my, I was not born with this name is the name that I was given. And that goes into the quote you were just saying at the right. very beginning that we will all be given these names.
2: Right, right. We'll we'll have um we'll all have names that inflame the cathode ray. Yes. Which and
0: is so that also is <laughs> dates us too, because we don't use like cathode ray TVs no. are not <laughs> in use anymore. <laughs> I doubt any of anybody like you know Kids. that are yeah, teenagers now would even know what a cathode ray TV is.
2: Kids, so. it used to be the case that if you opened up the back of your TV and started touching stuff around back there, <laughs> you could die. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if they've advanced technology with that anymore, but uh, yeah, it was it was serious business back in the day. And also your television was a piece of furniture. But let's move yes, on. Yes, you could just set everything <laughs> on top of it, I remember. But I, I noticed one time under his breath during that interview... Um, when Oblivion was criticizing the idea that we should have all this, you know, imagery out in the world, uh, that it's better on the screen than in the streets.
0: Yeah. Okay. And
2: I picked up on that, and I was like, yeah, there's an argument, I think, being conducted between these men in this interview that um, Bill Crystal's father, Irving Crystal, used to write, prolifically about why pornography should be banned Mm -hmm. and it was like should should does freedom allow us to debase ourselves um was the argument that he he made and i what was that piece that he wrote that i love to constantly criticize i can't remember the title of it right now but um it was essentially the, the the point of the freedom of speech and freedom of expression was not to allow us to run wild with the the uh worser demons of our nature. And uh, you know, I know a lot of, quite a few people who would agree with that, but being a free speech advocate myself, I don't think other people are in a position to judge what is, you know, where the line is for me. Right. Um I do have a line. You know, there are scenes in the in Videodrome that made me uncomfortable. but I was kind of like, oh, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, if, you, if
0: that movie doesn't make you uncomfortable at least once,
2: something's then, yeah. messed up. You need to seek therapy. Cronenberg <laughs> is supposed to disturb you. <laughs> yes,
0: and I and I think, and as we'll talk later, like I think that's like a the whole point of this movie too is to right. be as disturbing as possible. Great, right. great. Right. So, um. As we go further, you know, I think there's not much that really happens. I think after the show, I think he, the next, well, I think he meets up with Nikki again. I think they just, they, they decide to meet up and you see that, that she's in his living room and they're, you know, just chilling out. And he said, he says to her, I have this video. So mm-hmm. apparently he got a video from um, Harlan of the, of the torture and he says, you know, I have this video because she mentioned, what does she say? She's like, do you have any porno or something? Like she's, uh, she's like she's looking much, for something exciting. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. from the get go, she's, she's letting him know what she's about. So she's like, that gets me off. Let's watch some porno. And he's like, well, I've got this video of torture. <laughs> and she's like, It
2: reminds sure. me of someone asking like, hey, you have any Coke? And <laughs> yeah. then he's like, actually, I have something a little stronger. <laughs> she's like, yeah, let's get it on.
1: Yeah.
0: So he shows her that video. And then, you know, she's talking about how it just stimulates her. And she's really turned on by it. And she actually asks him to, at one point, cut her, right? With a, yeah. with, with a pocket knife or something. And then um, you see a scene of them laying on the floor. And they're both naked and he starts he uses a needle and he pierces both of her ears mm-hmm. and that's like that's like highly like she's totally turned on by it and oh, that scene where like he pierces the first ear and there's blood on the needle and he licks like that like, the, ugh, like i was like this is, this is, is definitely
2: <laughs> pre-hiv worry <blurry>. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah that was pretty gross so yeah. um yeah and then what I found interesting too is like you see them you know after he pierces both her ears and she's she's ready to go, they're making out, and then they pan away from them and they're you see them in the room, that video mm-hmm. drum or like the that video that they were that he was watching they're in that torture room together yeah. laying on the ground so um and eventually. I guess when he goes back and talks to um, Harlan, he finds out that that broadcast was not from Malaysia. After all, it was actually from Pittsburgh, which makes me want to think of so many jokes because my husband's from Pittsburgh.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) Or I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That's where it'll
2: happen. Freaks. They got out there.
0: Uh, Yeah. So, um, so he finds that interesting and I guess he, he brings that up to Nikki at some point. And um, Nikki, I guess one of the nights that she's th- she's over there, she says, "You know, I'm going to go on a business trip. You want to know where I'm going?" And he's like, "No, where are you going?" She's like, "I'm going to Pittsburgh. I'm going to audition for Video Drone. I am made for Video Drones," what she says. Mm-hmm. And he tries to talk her out of it. In fact, he gets kind of angry that she would even think about doing that. Um. Which seems weird to me because, you know, it seems like that's something he's totally into, but oh well. So he tries to talk her out of it. And then um, next thing you know, like she's gone Mm -hmm. and she's been, she disappears. So he starts to become more curious about Videodrome as time goes on. And um, I think he has a, um, another producer from another um or i think she produces soft pornography and she is showing him a video of some of her work and i I think her name is masha in the film and she has like a very thick accent and so he he's known her for a long time she's been in the pornography field so he starts asking her questions about videodrome and he's thinking like okay the video that he that she showed, showed him was like, I don't know, it was like some Caligula type movie. Right. And he's like, it's just not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that's more, um, just more, I guess, violent. He's something. Yeah,
2: what he says in the meeting with his initial partners is he wants something that breaks through. Yeah. He wants a breakthrough. Meaning something more, more than what they have available, and they've already got snuff films, they've already got torture films, so he's looking for the next, whatever the next fix is. There's so many, like, allusions to drug use. Like, they use the videos like drugs. is like At least by this point in the movie, I think that people really get the sense of them consuming Mm -hmm. these videos in the same way a person will consume drugs. And then having, you know, hallucinations because of them as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's been having some pretty vivid... You know, visions, dreams, things like that, up until this point still, and um I think when when he meets with Masha and, and he tells her he's not really interested in the video, but he is interested in this this thing called Videodrome, and he wants her to look into it, maybe she can find out more about it, and then you know she can get a cut if maybe whoever's making videodrome is willing to be part of the channel. like in his mind, he's trying to incorporate Videodrome into his business right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so she's like all right i'll you know i'm interested in it i'll look into it but then when we find out um when they finally meet up again she's she tells him like you don't want to do this like these videos are not staged like these are real people being tortured and killed this is not something you want to be a part of so she tries to talk him out of it but then she says but if you do want to know more about it you need to talk to professor oblivion so he goes this is what so this is kind of the weird part where it starts to get even more weird as he goes and he t- tries to meet up with professor oblivion he ends up going to like this homeless shelter mm-hmm. and the name of the homeless shelter which i thought was interesting is called um cathode ray mission
2: yeah where and
0: and basically all these homeless people go there they get like a change of clothes and some food and they just sit in front of a television screen and just like absorb all this
1: information through a television screen
2: what she says is that it helps them reintegrate yeah which i find an interesting theory because of tv is known to cause people to disassociate so the idea that like placing dissociative people in front of television screens is going to make them reintegrate into society somehow. But um, (laughs) as she goes on to explain, uh, her father believed that that world was more real than the living world. And so, you know, perhaps in some way, in the same way that, uh, how do I put this, Um, exorcisms can work effectively on people who are having mental problems because they believe them to be working and so although a person might just be having like a mental episode and not necessarily be possessed by a demon the action of the exorcism um, puts them into a placebo state of thinking Mm -hmm. that they are being released from the you know at least mental demons that are torturing them and there are you know all kinds of studies that have been done on this so when I was watching her saying that, okay, well, we believe that we can use this technology. Obviously, you know, these videos have been used up until this point in the movie as drugs. And so here she is trying to administer what we are perceiving as drugs to a population of people who have, a, you know, like mental illness problems, which are the homeless yeah. population. Um yeah. so they're presenting this as maybe like the good guy of the movie like mm-hmm. the uh protagonist but, um but yeah. you know as you mentioned earlier and I think it's accurate there are actually no heroes in this movie right but I did pick up on this sort of um character development with her that she is using these again drugs to administer to you know people who can't pay for them you know yeah
0: her name is Bianca Oblivion. So she's um, Professor Oblivion's daughter. Right. And so she, she, runs is, yeah, she runs the mission. Yeah. And she runs the mission. seems like she pretty much is well intertwined with her dad's mission. She agrees with it. She's helping with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So she, you know, meets with Max and they kind of talk a little bit. He says he's there to talk about Videodrome with her, with her, her dad. So she tells him that, you know, he will be in contact with him somewhere mm-hmm. down the future, I believe. So we she get says
2: just not to skip over it, because I think it's really important. Oh, okay. She says that um, he doesn't have conversations. He prefers the monologue. Yeah. The monologue is his preferred means of communication. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's important because of what comes up later. But go
0: ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, basically that, we, you know, he goes, I think he ha- he goes to bed. And he wakes up the next morning. He's kind of confused. Like, I think he's been, you know, now it's kind of getting clearer and clearer. He's really losing it. His, um, the lady that woke him up at the beginning of the movie in the video, who is his, I guess, his assistant, she shows up with some more videos for him, and some more things that she needs to give him. And she has a video from Professor Oblivion. So she hands that to him. And she also, apparently, I guess, he had asked her to look up um, Nikki, to find out where she was, and she yeah, you know, she said that she that Nikki had actually instead of taking two weeks off, she'd actually taken the whole month off. Right. So, yeah, that was interesting as well. But uh, I think that's also where he has this scenario, this situation where he thinks that I guess he gets frustrated with her and he smacks her, and then she changes into Nikki, and then she changes back, and then he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I did that." And she's like, what do you, what do you mean? Nothing happened. But he had, in this whole, in his mind, he had like pretty much like smacked her around. But that really didn't happen.
2: I think that was the first moment he realizes he's been hallucinating. Yes. Like he's kind of, he tries to play it off. He ushers her out the door. She's like, can I stay here and help you out? And he's like, get the hell out of here, lady. (laughs) Yeah, you Um, you don't want this. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, you know, he he definitely knows something is wrong with him at that point.
0: hmm He watches that video from Professor Oblivion. Like he thinks he's just gonna be watching like his video. But then the video, he does the monologue thing, he's kind of telling him what his visions are, like what how he sees like television and the and the role of video drone. You know, basically I think he's wanting T V to what was it, replace what was the word I was gonna to replace every aspect of human life? What he said. That's what his goal is with television, and um, and then he he says he starts calling Max out by name, and you start to they start to have this exchange of of conversation with each other, which is odd, to say the least. Um, is this like the I can't remember. Is this the scene where like he goes into the TV for a minute? I can't remember if that's where it happened
2: yeah, or Yeah, so um he, that that's the same scene. The the doctor changes into her. That's right. And then it like beckons him to the screen. And then you mm-hmm. see in classic Cronenberg fashion the television starts to kind of like um deform. Yeah, and it turns take into, like, on a very human. organic appearance, yeah. and you see like it's like really focusing on her lips and her face, and he kind of like smashes into it, like its bosoms or whatever. And so it's this whole strange uh, scene where he's like apparently sort of having sex with the television in a way, <laughs> like he is. Yes, into this, yeah, it's it's him and the, and the and the video technology are interacting again in 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 an interactive way. To me, at this point, I'm still like, okay, the draw, like the t- the video is a drug, you know, the like he takes in the video and it makes him see these things, and and right before that, that's the first time when he's holding the tape, and you see the the tape starts to look odd too, it takes on yeah. that weirdly organic appearance, and he like looks at it and shakes it around, and is like, what is this, and you know, so it, yeah, it's it's an odd scene, it's uncomfortable. I mean. Clearly, we're not worried about spoilers. We're yeah. just kind of going for Yeah, I mean, if you're here, watching, so.
0: the, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched Videodrome, sorry, we're ruining right. the whole <laughs> movie for
2: you. So, um, like, uh, one really fascinating part, I think, of that movie is, or that scene specifically, is that um, they come up to the doctor and they start securing him in the way oh, the torture right. victims get secured. And they put... Um, the noose around his neck and they're choking him. And he says, I was Videodrome's first victim. Yes. And he's like, what the hell? And that's when it turns into the girl.
0: That's right. And so,
2: yeah. yeah, So we get this sense that it's, you know, uh, looking back from the end of the movie, you get this um, sense that he is trying to communicate with him. He is using Videodrome, but Videodrome itself is corrupt. And so it starts taking over. It's like, "No, I'm running the show,"
0: you know. Yeah.
2: Um and I'm going to use the imagery of this girl to 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 beckon you into the screen, to get you more deeply involved, watch Videodrome mm-hmm. for longer, whatever it takes, like um the addict, you know, again, the addiction allegory is really heavy here, so.
0: Yeah. And he so the next day he goes back to that mission where Bianca's work works and he meets her there and um, he's holding the tape in his hand as she's walking up the stairs and he says you know yeah I watched this movie and she's like well, what did you thought and he was like it was very like stimulating or can't remember how he said it but then she went to go reach the tape and he says careful it bites right I thought that was kind of a cool little because it's pretty much true like it's not a harmless tape right right so um, they she takes him up to the office and they start talking. He starts saying he wants to meet Professor Oblivion and really talk to him.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: she opens up a room and it's just filled with VHS tapes. And she says, this is my dad. You know, he and then she says, like, he. Um, that he was he's not alive anymore basically he he saw what the people were going to use videodrome for like the people that he was working with Mm -hmm. and he tried to stop it and they killed him for it is what she said i think she also said that he had um that the tapes or the videodrome caused tumors to grow in the brain is that Mm -hmm. right
2: yeah that's what he died from
0: and yeah so he um I think that's what he, yeah, he said that, um, and he even said that in the video, he said that I had, I started, I had tumors in my brain and he says, but I don't think that my visions were from the tumors. I think it was from Videodrome. I remember him saying that in the video. Yeah. Yeah. So we get, we definitely get the idea that like this tape, this broadcast, whatever it is, it causes damage to your brain. Right. So, um. Anyway, so we, we find out, I'm trying to remember, I think that he ends up getting picked up by, by somebody and they want him to, they pick him up in a car. I don't know if this was like after he leaves um, Bianca's house or I can't remember, but he ends up getting into a car and they tell him to watch a video and it's another guy talking to him this time. And this is, um very convex and he runs a company called Spectacular Optical Um Co- Corporation. And he says that they their front is like an eyewear um business, but they make biological weapons, I think is what he said. Um and they all they they kind of you can tell that it's like a um a government program, basically. Mm-hmm. So, it's a
1: spook, it's
0: a psyop. Yeah. So, what ends up happening is like he goes to this, um, the the store that front says like a eyeglass store, right? And he goes into the back and he sees Harlan there. And Harlan is the guy that, if you remember, showed him Videodrome through through the satellite. So he's like realizing that Harlan and Convex work together. Mm-hmm um and definitely
2: a big um moment of betrayal in the movie Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and i thought it was interesting because i think harlan even said like i didn't i didn't expect you to you know give into it like or succumb to it he was kind of surprised that um that max succumbed to it and i think that um oh you know what i totally skipped over wasn't it like that scene where There was a scene where he was dreaming, I think. And in the dream, he was, um, I don't know if he was like, all I know is like he woke up and he was in bed next to that Masha chick. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she was dead and he called Harlan over. Mm -hmm. Is that right? And asked him to take a picture to, Cause he wanted to know for sure if it was there, if it was a hallucination. And then, like, later he goes with Com- Mr. Convex and sees Harlan and he realizes, like, Harlan knew all about all well, of this all along. So right?
2: what happens is that he tells Harlan, he, he, he does wake up. He thinks the body of the woman is in bed next to him. He calls Harlan and says, I need you to take pictures of this. Harlan goes in there and he says, man, there's nothing in the bed. He goes, yeah. okay, look, I think something fucking weird's going on. Um, I'll meet you in the studio in an hour. Mm-hmm. When he gets there, Harlan is like, hey, look, man, we're above my pay grade here. Um, and then he opens oh, yeah. the door and it's Mr. Convex. That's and right. Max is like, whoa, you guys aren't working together. What the hell? You've been working with me for two years now. Is, have you been this way the whole time? And the dude's like, yeah. Um, and basically explains to him, hey, you know, people in, people in the West are getting pretty soft. The rest mm-hmm. of the world is not getting soft. And, you know, there are some degenerates among us who maybe need to get brain tumors and get wiped out.
0: Yeah. He's
2: yeah. like, what the fuck, man? He's like, yeah, sorry. I mean, you watched it. I, you know.
0: And that's what, and, and see, like, I think that's the part where Max is like, I can't believe you're doing this. It's so disgusting. Why would you purposely hurt people like this? And that's when Mr. Convex comes to him and says, like, well, who's watching this type of stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, he's like, who's going to watch Torture? You know, why would you watch it? And he, you know, Max is trying to say, well, oh, I just do it for my job It's for my job. He's like, but really, what is the other reason you would watch a video like Videodrome? So it's clearly like a judging of the type of person that would watch a video like that.
2: They ask him why he did it and he said business reasons. And then they like snicker and shake their heads like Isn't it always money, you know, which I find really hilarious for a government uh, weapons company to be, like, shaking their head at the skeezy capitalist, um, uh, what is it, public access channel owner? (laughs) Like, this guy is way low on the totem pole compared to you, but okay, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, that, yeah, so, one of the... One of the most interesting parts about that, aside from the oddly hypocritical condemnation of his desire for money, is the sense that um there people will be harder or maybe be more able to deal with some kind of future war if they aren't corrupted by I- uh, imagery of basically yeah. savagery right if you so you want. A generation of people who have never seen bad images (laughs) to be ready to like combat a what you're what the movie is calling a, a harder world right that seems counterintuitive to me you know if you raise a bunch of like pollyanna i've never seen anything um untoward in my life and then they see like somebody get killed for the first time they're gonna you know not react well to that so yeah you'd think you'd want to desensitize society that could pull as many triggers as you needed to so there was a that was an odd scene for me because was like a lot of your stuff doesn't make sense boys yeah and it was <laughs>
0: also kind of gross too because it's like it's very hypocritical in the sense that i'm like oh you like to watch people being tortured to death where where they literally show people videos of people that they they're the ones producing brain it brain cancer from
2: so yeah, they're literally there's watching something,
0: something that's going to kill somebody. That's not disgusting and disturbing to you?
2: So the FBI currently runs the biggest child pornography site on the planet mm-hmm. under the guise that they're using it to capture uh, pedophiles. But they're running the biggest child pornography website on the planet. This is yeah. the government doing this. You pay tax money to run the biggest child pornography site on the planet.
0: And when you think about, like, if you know your history about, like, the Franklin scandal and you realize, like, top-level CIA and FBI people were involved in that entire, like, sex, child sex trafficking ring. Absolutely. It's not that, I mean, it makes sense.
1: Like, yeah.
2: And see, back in the eighties too, people still I think had largely a sense that their government was good. Yeah. You know? And so that that kind of idea I think would have not resonated with as many people as it does today. Today. Yes. I see something like that, and I'm like, yeah, of course. They're all like that. That's very <laughs> that's second nature to me. But I think right. in the eighties that would have been very shocking. Like, what? The government is involved? And that's why when that woman, um, the uh, the porn dealer, is trying to warn him off, she goes, hey, you know, there's political connections there. Yeah. And he's like, eh, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about the mafia. I'm not worried about politics or whatever. But, like, he doesn't realize that, like, the political spectrum is way darker than the mafia ever hoped to be. Mm-hmm. The mafia doesn't have the kind of resources that it takes to create an entire technological force to give – all of the degenerates brain cancer. <laughs>
0: like, yeah. So we're kind of nearing kind of towards the end here. So Convex and Harlan, both they, they pretty much tell him like, you know, this is what you're going to do. Well, they've so, got,
2: they've got some kind of mind control on him at yeah. this point. Cause he's consumed so much Videodrome again, yes. alluding to it as a drug that he can't do anything, but what they tell him
0: yes so i don't is this the scene where they take a videotape and they put it they literally insert it into him like he's a yeah throughout the
2: film he's got this hallucination that like he's got this opening in his stomach and each hallucination the opening gets progressively wider to the point where he's like storing a gun in there and that actually (laughs) comes back later that he's got a gun stored in there but you by this time have you know maybe even forgotten about the gun that's in there but yeah they they insert a videotape it's a program it's a video program and then he's like the manchurian candidate yeah at this point um where he goes
0: the cronenberg creepy gross like special effects kick. oh yeah
2: and he was in full cronenberg mode in this one (laughs) too my
0: god This was like disturbing to watch, and they did a pretty good job considering it was the eighties. And he he goes
2: um, up; he goes up to kill Convex. and the gun that he's taken out of his like um, ham ham wallet pocket that he's now got in his uh, front piece is like um, sending out metallic uh, wires, basically into Mm -hmm. his arm, like making itself a piece of of him. Right, so, like, he can't even, in his imagination, he can't even drop this gun because it's, like, now connected into his very sinews and flesh and all this stuff. It's super gross. It's super
1: gross.
2: He shouts, and I never knew where this came from until today, which is, uh, death to Videodrome, long live the new flesh. And then he, like, shoots (laughs) this guy, and the guy doesn't just die. Sorry, I'm taking over at this point. Well,
0: let's wait, before we get there... Before we get to that part, like, he was first set, like, programmed by Harlan and Convex to kill Bianca. Remember?
2: That's and he after goes, he goes... Con- and- Convex is first. Bianca is second. And he, is- and, and he doesn't do it. That's, like, he does do the Convex thing, but he doesn't do Bianca. She's after him.
0: Well, see, he's programmed by them to kill his own partners... So mm-hmm. he goes into his own board and he kills, you know, his co- his own partners that he works with at the television station. And then he I think he um, goes and he meets with Bianca and she gives him a program, too.
2: I she's after she he kills Convex before he goes to Bianca. She's able to sort of get him off of his like mentoring candidate state. Mm-hmm. Um, But he 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 had already killed Convex at that point.
0: I just remember he kills his partners and I remember like he comes for her and she's like oh so now you're coming for me. I knew this was this this day was coming and then like she gives him uh some a program and then he goes back to Harlan and Harlan reaches into him and and oh, that's whatever right. she gave him and then
2: his hand yeah yeah killed, okay. yeah, it killed Harlan Kill so, her. Then, so the program wasn't able to like get inside of him. I yeah. thought he talked to Bianca first, and that's why he was able to resist. Yeah. The- so
0: she gives him some program where he goes and he can. Now he's going to go kill Convex and his people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're right. You're right. He gets you're right. Harlan, and then he goes to this weird like dinner party like show thing where they I were on. Unvi- they have like um...
2: speech. They're they they're, they're gla- they make um eyeglasses. The company yeah. their front is that they make eyeglasses, and they had a spring collection. Ah, okay. the spring collection was coming out, and that's what that was. It was basically a, a fashion show for it was kind of like, yeah. It was really
0: weird because I was, was like, weird. I to do this <laughs> for glasses, but sure. And it was like people like dancing. It was like really professional looking. But um, convex is on stage, and like you said, he comes like this. Is by this point, the gun is like literally a part of his flesh. His hand. And he goes and he shoots Convex. And what I find, this is where you were, you were about to get into. Yeah. He doesn't just die. Like he like splits open with all these tumors that he's had inside of his whole body, which makes you think you're sitting here judging him about watching Videodrome. We know that Videodrome, that people who watch it get these tumors. So mm-hmm. clearly Convex has been watching Videodrome too. And right. enjoying it, he's filled with tumors, right? It's he's, so much yeah. like he's splitting open.
2: It's it's secreted the ooze with this guy. It's it's really super gross. Like I don't yeah. know, <laughs> I don't know. He boiled from the inside. It was fucked up.
0: Yeah, and I was like babysitting when that scene came up, and and the the, the like little boy that I was watching like woke up during that scene.
2: Oh God!
0: <laughs> and I had to like. <laughs> turn his head and like turn it off really quick of all the times to wake up from a nap like really oh my yeah.
2: god
0: my Anyways. friend um
2: she was pregnant we were watching um game of thrones and it was <laughs> oh, no. the scene of the red wedding she she notoriously passes out um so she was dead asleep and then the scene of the red wedding comes out and uh rob stark's wife is pregnant yeah. And they stab her a bunch. And my friend Kristen, she wakes up. She's pregnant during this time, too. She goes, oh, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) We all thought she was asleep. (laughs) It really broke uh, the tension of the moment.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious.
2: Yeah, just out of the blue, Kristen goes, oh, what the fuck? (laughs) So for her, it was like the impact of like this emotional scene was like, Double for her because she was also pregnant at the time. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I can tell you from
0: experience being pregnant makes you just like, so emotional. (laughs) So, all right. So we get to that point, like where he shoots convicts and now, you know, he's got to go in hiding now because he's already been all over the news for shooting his partners. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he knows he can't go home. There's no way. So he finds like this abandoned boat and he, just hides out in there. And for some reason, there's a television in there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that was all in his head. That yeah. television was in his head. That makes because, sense. Yeah, it, it, it does. Because when he walks in there, you see where the fire would be.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: he like reaches in it, picks it up and is like, oh, this is cold or wet or whatever. And he throws it and he sits on the mattress. He sees the screen. And then on the screen, there's a fire. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, in that room with him, there's a fire in the fire pit. Mm-hmm. So it's this weird detail, and it, it might be missed easily, but you definitely get the sense of, like, his mind is making all of this up around him. Because he yeah. just built a fire in his mind, magically. That's there now.
0: Yes. Which is, okay, so we'll get to this in a minute. But the on the screen, he sees Nikki again. Mm-hmm. Nikki's talking to him in her sexy voice, and and you know, she's saying okay now we need to you don't need to be afraid of dying and losing this flesh and becoming part of video drone basically mm-hmm. so she's like this is how you get rid of the flesh and she shows a video of him you know shooting himself in the head basically
2: mm-hmm.
0: and she's like this is how you're going to do it and so then
2: and in in that video scene there's the bonfire yes And then suddenly he stands and you see the fire reflecting on him, that the fire is now in the room with him.
0: Right. And then that's how the movie ends is where he just does exactly what she tells him to do and Mm -hmm. shoots himself in the head. And I don't think there's anything else, really. No, the credits roll
2: after that. Yeah. Um, It's very like Ghost in the Machine. Yes. You're going into the video realm. You're going into the digital realm. Mm-hmm. Like, we could make that same movie. Like, somebody could easily remake that movie and make it about the internet.
0: Yes. And, like,
2: I think they have been. And I hope they
0: don't. I hope they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I just, like, I'm such a... I love the original movies, so I would hope they wouldn't do that. But, um,
2: but I they've think had, that... They've had several stories come out where it's, like, you know, the digital world yeah. is the, its own sort of, like, spiritual realm. And that... Yes somehow we can transfer our cognizance to the digital realm somehow and you know they've got scientists working on this you know people people do not want to die yes (laughs) and the idea that they could live on
0: the concept of transhumanism actually and i see this a lot like a lot of conspiracy theorists really talk about this a lot Mm -hmm. because of just there is there does seem to be a lot of research
2: i thought transhumanism was about animals I had no idea that's what that was about.
0: It's really, well, it's about being able to, um, create, like, pass on your consciousness onto something so that mm-hmm. you, even if your body dies, yeah. like, and that's what, I, that's what drum is. It's about, yeah. like, your consciousness is now in this television.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: get to live on while your body dies. And, um, you know, it one of the things that Max finds out like in this movie is that Nikki had been dead like this whole time. Like she actually did go to Pittsburgh and she was in a video drone video and was, you know, tortured and killed. And, um, I guess in hit like that, she was used in the video drone to kind of get him to come along too. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but like one of the things that you were saying too, is that, I think what Dr. Oblivion wanted to do with with um, Videodrome is basically what we're saying. is like taking your consciousness and it will go on and on and on through these video transmissions, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, he he saw it as a good thing. And he was saying right. like all this violence, all this sexuality, all this stuff can be done in the video realm. It doesn't have to be in the human realm. So it would be like mm-hmm. a a way to kind of live out your deepest, darkest fantasies without actually hurting anyone. I think that's how I saw it.
2: So have you um, seen or read Ready Player One?
0: No, but so I've it's Player, really
2: good. It's, it is really good. And it's also a good trip through nostalgia. Um, I definitely recommend it. Um, but the concept is that they have this sort of advanced VR internet that you can sort of like hook into. And then you are, you are there. You get to be a Gundam. You get to be Sailor Moon. You get to be whatever it is your little heart <laughs> can imagine. And you get to fly around and have magic powers. And people basically uh, start living more of their lives in that world than they do in the regular world. And then you see sort of society starts to collapse. People are living in slums. All they're doing is trying to live in this virtual reality yes. world. And like, there, there were overtones of that that I saw in the film. Um, and just sort of this idea that, you know, people, know, especially in like the 80s and 90s, TV rotted your brain, you know? Yeah. Everything about TV was affecting your psychosis. And, you know, children were gonna be, you know, mindless zombies because of television. And, you know, I don't think that that's true at all. I think, um, in a lot of ways, uh, the, the TV generation, our generation, um, came out quite thoughtful um yeah then maybe we ordinarily would have i know i learned a great deal of like morality type things from places like star trek you know yeah. <laughs> Where, like my parents they were working they didn't have time to talk to me or teach me things like i don't know i <laughs> those were our books you know mm-hmm. the stories that came from the television so i don't buy into the whole um t v or you know even even screens or the internet is such a vile or evil thing, but I know that that's that's a constant theme in literature, um yeah, even before there was videos or screens or whatever, there was the idea that books could do that, and they mm-hmm. would um they would send women to asylums for too much reading, yeah <laughs> you know, like, I
0: was just gonna say that, yeah,
2: yeah, I so, think that like, it was
0: any play but I think that it was just definitely interesting, like um. First off, I think that human beings in general, and I think that's what this whole thing was about. is like we're looking for a way to be stimulated um, in a meaningful way. But if we can't get that meaningful way, then we just want to be stimulated in the most powerful way as possible. You right. know what I mean? So I really like when the I... Smashing what I see, the
2: reward center as often as possible. Right? Yes.
0: What I saw with every single one of these characters really is that... Um, I didn't there's no love story in this at all. I mean, if there is, it's very very I mean, you'd have to basically assume a lot. <laughs> but I didn't see like a love connection in any with any of this, even with, between Bianca and her father, really. It was mm-hmm. like a disconnect. Like I don't know if he really like, you don't see the affection that he had towards her. His love and his obsession seemed to be with this videodrome concept that he had. And Bianca probably. She almost
2: seemed as much a prisoner to it like, yes. as anybody who would watch the videos. Just because, yes. I mean, she clearly hadn't herself, um, but she was a slave to what it was.
0: Yeah. And I think that she was trying to carry on his work in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe trying to do it in a good way with with the homeless people, but i I feel yeah. like it's one of those things where it's like like when I think of what I was thinking of throughout this whole thing is like oblivion was sort of like a Steve Jobs like Steve Jobs was a brilliant man and he mm-hmm. had a wonderful concept of putting a small computer in each of our pockets and, and we would have access to the internet into each other in mm. video games all day long if we wanted mm. to. Mm. But I think that towards the end of his life, I think he realized like what he had created. And I think that that's sort of like the same thing with oblivion is he realized like as good as the, as the video dream, all the good things it could have possibly done for people's like in his mind, it could have prolonged people's lives maybe. Right. or like, given them a chance to live out whatever their true self was whatever they thought that was. The people he was working with realized they could use it as a weapon because it was causing um, tumors. You know, tumors in the brain right. and it was killing people. Right. So they realized this is a good way to get rid of people that are useless to society that we don't need anymore.
2: Yeah. yeah I, I got that. that. That's the theme I definitely got from it was like, and that's something that runs as a current that runs through all of Cronenberg's films. Mm -hmm. Is, um, someone on Twitter, when I mentioned Cronenberg, brought up that he was a blue pill. And I'm not entirely sure what that means, but if I can compare it to the red pill, it would be that it sort of, um, makes you believe, uh, you're in a dream state. Yeah. And, um, in Cronenberg's films, there's always some authority type figure, a doctor or some authority type figure who, thinks that yep. degenerates are bad and we have to get rid of these people and there's some kind of like hero-esque figure yep. that comes from the degenerates to kind of like save the day or at least be willing to like throw his body on the grenade that is yes. these type of authoritarians. You know, so it, yeah. you know, I can see why, why see an that. anarchist or an anarcho-minded person might lean toward Cronenberg films for that aspect alone.
0: I feel like he's like a Malthusian where he feels like the pot, the world is overpopulated and it's filled with all these people that are just wasting space and breathing our air. And we need to just weed these people out. Right. Like, an- like another movie that he made, like, uh, I know that you, you had also on the list was um, scanners,
2: right? Scanners, yeah. yeah. Which is
0: also a very similar storyline in a way, because it is about people who have, uh, who have these, like, amazing abilities with their brains that they can, you know, change the world around them. And, and instead of using it for something good, they're being mm-hmm. used and programmed to use it for as a weapon against so, other humans.
2: There are definitely Malthusian characters in Cronenberg's work, for sure. But I don't think that Cronenberg himself Saw them mm-hmm. as the heroes of the story or anyone to emulate. I, th- I think he was pointing out the Malthusian tendencies of, um, capitalists for sure. I see a bunch of deep critique of capitalism in his work where mm-hmm. he is like, you know, these corporations, these people, they don't care about you and they will use any means necessary to get rid of what they consider the drag group of society. Yes. And so the sense that I get from Kronenberg is that he definitely says, you know, there's value to freaks and misfits mm-hmm. and um, there's untapped power in freaks and misfits. And if you, if you try to get rid of those people, they will fight for their existence. And yeah. so that's kind of a, a current and a theme that I've always appreciated, but I, I do agree with you that there is a Malthusian current. Uh, mm-hmm. um, um, what do, what do you call a repeating theme? Um, anyway, there's a repeating theme. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And I think that, yeah, I agree with you. I think that he's fighting against that. And, you know, I, I would think that most like, I mean, he's such a artistic minded person. And I think anybody who's that creative would think that way. Like we, you know, we can't just write people off mm-hmm. because they're different or, you know, because they don't seem to serve a purpose to you. They do serve a purpose that you may not see. And I mean, like that, that reminds me of like, um, I mean another movie that he made that I watched was called is it The Brood or Brood and it was sort of a I mean it's another similar thing where it's like this woman is able to create these beings that go out in the world and destroy things right mm-hmm. and and that she's being used by these doctors for mm-hmm. that purpose and she doesn't and and she hates it because she's kind of like just a lab rat to these people right but um you know, and I think that's how all these people, like, especially in Scanners, I think that everybody that was considered a scanner in the movie were felt that way. They felt mm-hmm. like they were not human, humanized at all. They were just mm-hmm. a means to an end, kind of. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: But this was different in a way because um, instead of humans having these amazing abilities and they're being lab rats, in another sense, they are these people are being exposed to something and that something is like fusing with them.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So like, that's why I find it interesting, like how he made like the television or the VHS tapes take on like fleshy,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: human organic, organic.
0: Yeah. yeah, Material because they're meant to like bind with the human form and become part of the, even though it's kind of a deformity, they become part of the part of the human flesh in a way. In a grotesque and unnatural way.
2: Yeah. There are a lot of stories with this sort of theme that, um, humans have created realms, um, through technology, like that. We don't quite understand what we've built and we might've, you know, created dimensions or created spiritual planes of existence that, you know, we didn't, weren't aware we were unlocking when we created this technology. And that shows through with, uh, Videodrome, um, like I said, you can you can translate that technology right up to 2020. You know, you just yeah. replace video with Internet and it's 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 just as good.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's, I think, um, probably one of the things I like about it, because I started thinking, like, if we didn't have Videodrome, would we even have like um, the Matrix, for example?
1: Not sure. Would, yeah.
0: Would we have, have you seen the movie The Ring? Yeah. Yeah, I was like sure. that movie The Ring would not even exist if it weren't for videodrome because there's definitely aspects to that where it's like the 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 whole point of in order for videodrome to exist and to keep working you have to show the video to people the people have to watch well, it
2: I was I was asking myself when I was watching it what makes this into a horror movie because it's definitely an odd movie it's an obscure movie there are a lot of scary imagery in it but what makes it specifically a horror movie and i was like um thinking for a long time okay maybe i've misplaced this maybe it's in the wrong genre maybe it's obscura and not horror (laughs) but then i realized there's a harbinger and the harbinger is what makes it horror he has the opportunity beforehand not to watch the video yeah, he's he's warned that this is a bad thing. This is not a good idea. Turn back now. Mm-hmm. And so, because of the presence of the harbinger, I believe that does make it a, a horror film. Yes, um, and I think that's and, the thing is that
0: like how susceptible it makes you question everything about yourself too. Like how susceptible are you to watching? Because you know, well, Jordan Peterson
2: would say that we're all capable of watching the video. Right.
0: So. I mean, have have I mean, I've watched pornography. I've seen pornography before. So, I mean,
2: Man, especially if you tell people they can't watch something or they shouldn't watch something, they're definitely going to it gonna watch it, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember, and this is like, this reminds me too, reminded me of this um, thing that happened when I was in my tw- early 20s. And, you know, I was hanging out with a bunch of, you know, kids that, the young, I guess they were my age, but we were all, I remember one of my best friends was in a band. And they were partying all the time and they were just like living this crazy lifestyle. I remember like staying over at this house because I had stayed up all night drinking with with all these people, trying to keep up with these people. And I woke up and they were watching this disgusting pornography. And it was like to this day, like the imagery stays in my mind. And it's like your friend who woke up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with the red wedding scene, right? What I woke fuck? up and there's like a literal scene of a dog having sex with a woman,
2: and I'm like, what the yikes! F-? That's shit.
0: That is like that's worse than the red wedding. I wasn't even opinion.
2: prepared for you to say that. Exactly,
0: right? <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, if Videodrome existed, it would exist in that thing, and I would be dead yeah. right now from brain tumors. <laughs> so my god so it just goes to show you like how things can happen and you don't realize it and i mean it disturbed me
2: it I have a lot of people totally disturbed me, me especially for like running a horror movie challenge because i'm saying hey watch a hundred horror movies in a row <laughs> which frankly i run the challenge and i haven't been able to do because there's only so much like disturbing imagery that you can subject yourself right. to. right even if you're fully aware the whole time like all of this blood is corn syrup like I'm fully yeah. aware like my fourth wall is very thin um but at the same time you can only watch people be murdered so many days in a <laughs> row before you're like i am i'm done i don't need more. and you know and i what, think my though? highest was 57 and that, i didn't get to that this year i think i topped out at like 30
0: i was like yeah. i'm done I've I've literally just picked the movies that I wanted to watch and the, the and the ones I didn't want to watch.
2: <laughs> That's what it's about. I, I I curate the list because it's fun to do. It's fun to come up with the hundred movies, and then for the first couple of weeks, I'm really into it. I post all the directors and all the stuff, and then about midway through, I kind of like um, I stop posting, and really, it's most people stop watching, and it takes the pressure off of them. They don't feel like they're <laughs> not meeting some challenge. And then I don't feel like I'm requiring something of them that they don't want to do. Really, it's just kind of like a midsummer fun thing. And mm-hmm. if you ever am, are not having fun doing the challenge, stop doing it. It's not that serious. Even I don't take it that seriously. So I know Cam was trying so, so hard to be the one that <laughs> won the challenge. He's like, I just can't watch any more bad movies.
0: Yeah, because a lot of horror movies are just can't be... It dumb ones and which some are fun like my favorite can be horror movie that i've watched on this whole thing is the howling i don't th- like that's the first time i've actually <laughs> watched it and i've always avoided it because it looks so stupid but i was like you know I'm actually kinda i actually kind of like this tell
2: you, the one that surprised me most in this year was the descent i thought reading the synopsis of that movie i thought this is gonna be crappy <laughs> and i watched it it scared the shit out of me I was like clinging to my pillow, like "Oh my god, girl!" the whole time. Like that movie scared the pants off of me. You know, so, what movie
0: really messed me up is Funny Games. I watched that a long time ago when I was like young and ha- had no children, wasn't married. And then I watched it this time, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" This movie has Funny Games is no scary. redeeming qualities.
2: <laughs> yeah, Funny Games is so scary because that's stuff that could really happen you know like when you got ghouls and vampires and werewolves and shit like that like i said my fourth wall is like i'm like "Ah, i can see the zipper (laughs) you know like yeah uh with funny games that's some that's some real shit that could really happen to people and in some cases has yes and i i didn't make it all the way through funny games i didn't and i was warned about it before beforehand yeah and i still was like i just i can't this is not um that's not what I signed on for. And I even warned people before watching it. I was like, look, if you're here for campy, fun, horror, Bruce Campbell. This isn't it. Skip oh. this.
0: Yeah, this isn't you know? it. <laughs> I won't watch it again, I don't think. I think that's it. I watched it. I think I've watched it as a as a young, ideal, idealistic, young girl without any attachments to now. And it's just like, yeah.
2: There are some movies like that, like Lars von Trier's Antichrist. Um, Ugh, you goodness. only need one screening that and for the so most good, part though. most of y'all don't need to watch that movie straight up I'm I'm gonna tell you right now don't watch it yeah. you don't need to watch it there's nothing there for you that's like redeemable to human nature but whoever the director of photography was on that film you are a genius he, no
0: I'm just gonna say like it's a beautifully disturbing movie yes. and if uh, and I think artistically
2: the, beautiful soul not the same anymore yeah
0: for sure. But and I love and I've watched a lot of his movies because of that because of that movie because I was I just loved. I like it. I don't like to watch movies that I can predict the ending. And that clearly is one that you just don't know how it's going to go. You know, and I had watched it without really reading the synopsis of it. No,
2: yeah. Nobody warned me. A friend of mine was like, hey, let's watch this movie and my husband during a very specific scene of the movie anyone who's seen the movie <laughs> knows exactly what i'm referring to my husband became physically ill and had to leave the room he was <laughs> angry when he came back he was like why would you show that to me and you know my husband my he's husband not a horror fan, like. <laughs> yeah he was pissed he was like what why would you even show that to a person
0: <laughs> was like, that's, that's the, the whole excited. point that's how Lars von trier i would love to meet him by the way Because I bet he is probably in real life like the most like chill, calm person. Yeah. You know, because people like that are the ones that have like the craziest thoughts in their head. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. Well, they're the ones that
2: admit that they have those thoughts. I think everybody has dark places in their mind, but a lot of people don't want to like admit to themselves that they can go there. But he but can, and all he can. gets yeah. it all
0: out in the theater, in his mood in his work, and then he can just chill and drink like cognac at the end of the day.
2: Like, that's that's why I think you'll never find um, people like Gilbert Godfrey in a sex scandal, because his humor <laughs> is so filthy. <laughs> exactly. It's like, what is he? What, what is a real life human being ever going to offer to this filthy, filthy man? <laughs> like,
0: and that reminds me. Like, remember? Do you remember when? Um, okay, so Lears von or Lars von Trier got into a lot of trouble when his movie melancholia came out and that movie had Kirsten Dunst in it and uh-huh. they had a Sundance for it. He got in trouble because he made some, he made a statement about Hitler. This is before this is like during the but the uh, was it the Bush administration still?
2: So cancel culture hadn't happened yet.
0: Yeah. Cancel culture hadn't happened yet, but I remember he made a statement about Hitler And it was not like Hitler's the worst person in the world. So,
2: you know, Uh, because it wasn't
0: anti-Hitler, he he got blackballed. And I don't think he's allowed to go back to Sundance because of it. But, yeah, Lars von Trier, if you guys really... Well, what he should have been
2: canceled for was putting Kirsten Dunst in a movie. Because that person can't act her way out of a wet paper bag, in my opinion. I she's the worst female actor, in my opinion. This is just my opinion. <laughs> Aside from maybe, like, Tara Reid, who you can't really, Ugh. like, count as an actress. Kirsten Dunst is the worst actress on the planet. She was the least believable Mary Jane I've ever seen in my life. Like, just everything she's in grates me. Maybe I just personally don't like Kirsten Dunst. I don't know. I liked her in
0: Melancholia. I thought she was good. I've seen a lot of Lars von Trier.
2: Ever and since, of- like... Interview the vampire, movies. I'm like you are just the worst <laughs> little girl. I don't even buy you as a little girl. You're terrible.
0: I, <laughs> I think she did a good job in that movie. If you ever have you seen that Melancholy? I haven't. No. Oh. I still think you I want watch one it.
2: person to meet me halfway on my Kirsten Dunst hate. <laughs> she does
0: have messed up teeth. I will give you that. <laughs> like she could with all the money. Think what could I can get.
2: That. Yeah, but. Just quit putting her in movies, goddammit. <laughs> I don't know. I just
0: really like... um, I like his movies, and I liked... Mel- I thought Melancholia was a really good... It was a good take on like the whole... It was like the end of the world type movie, mm-hmm. and the main character has depression, and she just can't function in normal daily life. She's so depressed, and so clinically just, you know, down. But then when the end of the world comes, it's like her time to shine. And you start yeah. to realize, yeah. like... Like, you know, a lot of these people who have mental illness, a lot of it can be, like, they might be, they might be bad in times when times are good, but good when times are bad, if that makes sense. Right.
2: There's an evolutionary reason why people, some people are like this. And it it does convey some kind of survival benefit. Yeah. I don't know what it is, and we might not know because we live in such prosperous times, but those people might be great survivors in Middle Ages Europe you know you don't having that kind of like ultra realistic view on the world which is why they say a lot of people experience depression is that they actually see things a little too clearly um you know might just be the kind of people you need to pull you through like a plague in
1: 1358
2: (laughs) so yeah we need the freaks and the misfits and the degenerates um if, if there were any kind of like uh Summation or theme I could get from Videodrome and, and Cronenberg's films is that we we need the freaky people. Yeah. God bless the freaky people.
0: Yes, and and I think it's also just a like I personally think that there's like this silver lining of like humanity has value. Like even if you don't see it right away, like there it brings a color to everything. And like, like we said earlier, like there's really no heroes in this movie, but you know, every single person in this film brought something to, to life. Like they made Mm -hmm. life interesting in their own way. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, you know, we don't need to completely just wipe these people away and think that they don't Mm -hmm. matter. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's his point. Maybe like even the worst person in the world still brings value to the world. And so, yeah, we should that's celebrate why,
2: it. That's why I think Thaddeus Russell's book, The Renegade History of the United States, is such an important book because it's actually about how, like, hookers and cutthroats and highwaymen yeah. are responsible for building this country. And maybe, just maybe, you should show those people a little bit of respect. You yeah. know, like, um, there, especially, you know, th- there was... Nobody knows about her, but there's a New Orleans madam from a 100 years ago named Norma Wallace. Mm. And she basically like uh, cared for hundreds of underprivileged poor women who otherwise would have been street prostitutes and created like basically a fancy establishment for them to uh, apply their trade in. Mm-hmm. And she ended up marrying the police chief of New Orleans, and this woman had, like, a phenomenal and interesting life, and people should definitely read about Norma Wallace. That's kind of off-topic, but she's not a and hero think, of mine, but just I somebody I find really interesting.
0: And I don't remember the name of this madam, but there's a madam out – like, when I went to Seattle, we went to, um, you know, back in those – like, in the like 1800s, Seattle was basically just, you know – newly settled land that was just mm-hmm. barely a city at the time. And so they were saying that the only jobs that women had in that part of the world was either being a prostitute or um, what was it being a, a seamstress
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and sometimes both. So what this one madam did in the town is that she made a lot of money. She got really rich off of her of her trade and she opened up an orphanage because there's a lot of young children that didn't have yep. homes, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And um so she was able to um use her trade which most people would think is like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? immoral. Right. And did something good with it. So that's why mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like you said, like we can't just write people off, you know. We can't
2: we need the degenerates too.
0: And the degenerates know, like I was thinking like, you know, these madams or these prostitutes that they've had a hard life. The fact that they want to turn around and make somebody else's life better mm-hmm. makes them in my mind a hundred times better than any CEO or any doctor of like a major that graduated top of his class. That's a better person to me because you could easily just pull everybody and everything around you down to your level. That'd be the easy thing to do.
2: Absolutely. All the way.
0: Yeah. And that's why I like horror movies because horror movies make you realize like what is bad and what is good. It's Mm -hmm. a clear division of those lines. It makes you focus. And in a lot of ways you picture in your mind, like, you know, how, you want it to be turned around to something good, right? Like especially like in funny funny games, like I was hoping so badly for these people to fight for their lives, right? And you're thinking in this Our movie, Deus Ex
2: Machina and Seal <laughs> Team Six comes through the window and like something. <laughs> yeah,
0: and in Videodrome, I'm hoping so badly for this pornographer to wake up from these delusions and these hallucinations and and break out of it. And even towards the end I was like please don't kill yourself. Please don't kill yourself. Please don't. No. Cuz I'm thinking mm-hmm. like there's something there. There's a value to this person, right? Don't kill mm-hmm. yourself, right? So that I think that's why horror movies are good. I don't think they're bad like you were saying. Like uh maybe
2: Yeah, no, I I definitely catch um there are a lot of people who think okay, well watching bad imagery will make you bad, which is kind of the theme of Videodrome ironically enough and like, well, you know, I, I think if you just kind of take things at face value, you could say someone could be inspired to do bad things by bad imagery. But also there are literary aspects to watching tragedy and watching horror. Like there are parts of yourself, as you said, that it makes you analyze. So, of course, you know, I, I, I see a great deal of value in um doing things that will make you confront your fear. I have this whole theory about how we no longer have to run from, for our lives from predators. And so we need to do things to scare ourselves to like yeah, deal with like an overabundance of this, uh, you know, survival instinct that we have. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of people are depressed and why a lot of people like, like feel futile and like they're spinning their tires and stuff like that. And it's like, cause the way that the world is designed, that's not the world we were evolved to live in. And it's mm-hmm. like, not that I'm saying I want things to become harder for human beings. I don't. I just think that um, we need healthy outlets. <laughs> you know, uh, physical exercise is extremely important because you have a nature. Um, and your nature is is to run and fight and climb and, you know, do all of these things in the wild. And if we don't get that out, it manifests itself in other uh, wildly terrible ways. So, you know, I'm a big fan of like run that energy out because you have a whole lot of human evolution in there that's going to leak out in some shitty ways.
1: <laughs>
0: well, and like another thing I was just thinking of is like, you're right. Like, our dangers aren't going to be like literal predators busting through our home and trying to kill us or anything. But now, video drone and movies kind of similar to that kind of bring some reality to the place. Simulate. They-
1: Danger. Our mind
0: is what is at, is being fought over. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I literally think, when I was thinking about video drama, I was thinking our minds are being fought over. Our, sure. By yeah. Facebook. Alex Jones is, um, Google. Thing, in,
2: information wars? That's yeah. completely accurate. There is yes. an information war, and you are the battleground. Your mind mm-hmm. is the battleground. So, yeah, that's absolutely accurate.
0: And it was kind of, I mean, I found it interesting, like, in the movie, like, they physically put in a program into him or, like, a VHS to tell him what he needs to do. But isn't that kind of, like, what they're doing on Facebook where they're telling you to vote over and over again? Like, they're literally trying to program you and shove that VHS straight into you Mm
2: -hmm. so that
0: you go and vote for Joe Biden, which is, I mean, let's just face it, that's who they want you to vote for, right? That's why things
2: are done in (laughs) repetition, yeah. It's something i really noticed in um 2017 there was um one guy on cnn who used the word bellicose bellicose is an sat word that is not a word that the average american is using all the time and just knows i happen to know what bellicose means i am bragging a little bit but i'm like a literary person so i knew what bellicose meant but i was like man that's a five dollar word the <laughs> next week Every pundit on every channel was using the word bellicose like as a part of their vocabulary the entire time. And I was livid about it. It's like, you know, Nira Tandon, you know, you didn't know what the hell bellicose meant before yesterday, but you're just going to use it. And so now, I mean, even to this day, when I hear someone say bellicose, it makes me cringe. And I'm like, you were programmed with that vocabulary word. You didn't look it up for yourself. And I don't know why I have a big yin about it, but... It's just one little example, one little litmus test, one little pH balance from the water that shows you how they do it and what they do. And it's just constant repetition. They'll tell you a lie over and over and over again until it's like, well, I've heard it so many times. It's got to be true. We've always been at war with Eurasia. Come on, guys.
0: Watch those, like, watch that video again that's been all over Twitter of the, like, the four, is it four or five, like, chicks all screaming into the screen? (laughs) At the same time, because they're so yeah. angry about, like, Trump being president, like, Ruth Bader dying, and our democracy is over. I mean, like you said, like, they all have, like, these scripted lines that they don't realize that they are just repeating. And I, I when I was watching this movie, I was thinking, like, all of these people, they're screaming in their cars and posting it all over the internet. Like, <laughs> I picture convicts, like, taking this fleshy... Pulsating VHS tape and shoving it into their torsos, and then they just turn
2: into these <laughs> screaming witches. They did it to themselves. No one, no one nefarious had to to program them. They mm-hmm. chose this. All Didn't of the information is there.
0: Max chose to watch the video, right?
2: If he, he made it, he did. And 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 that is to say, I don't think that they deserve to have bad things happen to them because they've fallen into this programming and they've fallen into this trap. Mm-hmm. I think they are basically good people. And because they're basically good people, the cathedral was able to prey on them. Right. And it was able to say, look at these children in cages. Look at all these terrible things. You know, yeah, they didn't go and they didn't see that. Yes, it was also occurring during the Obama administration. Yes, these pictures were actually from the Obama administration. All of the <laughs> things that you could say. But at yeah. the same time, they're basically a good person. They don't want this terrible thing. Right. Um, and they're, they're victims. And yeah. what they've done, it, it's, um, I don't know if you've ever seen Akira. Yes. Okay. So in Akira, the end of the movie, uh, the Tetsuo character becomes this huge, um, monster thing that's rolling through the town, collecting up the cars and the buildings and the people as it rolls through. And it's, it's a leviathan. It's a monster. It's become so big that it can't control itself. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think this sort of like mass of upset, emotional hypochondriac. Um, Tim Pool calls them, and it's so perfect, low information belligerence. Yeah. And these people have just kind of reached a critical mass where they were able to sort of exert a sort of power over our society. Yeah. However, I think that there's hope. I don't mean to say all of this to say that we are completely lost to these people. I don't think that that's true. I think there are several high watermarks going on right now where we see the tide receding. For example, Bill Burr. He mm. said a bunch of shit to those woke people on Saturday Night Live, on the Saturday Night Live monologue. He called out the woke people The t- yeah. and the tide receded. They did not cancel Bill Burr. Chris Pratt said, I'm not going to endorse a political candidate. They want to cancel him. That's the high watermark. The tide is receding. So we're already seeing that um, tendency, that um, mass of power has grown so big it's collapsing in on itself and it no longer has the power that it used to. We as a society are like, we're not canceling Bill Burr. We're not canceling Chris Pratt.
0: No. Get out of here. And it's a
2: high watermark in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I agree that those women are victims. And that's what's the sad and tragic thing, you know, is you just watch these people who, like, I mean, like I, I was telling you before, like, I have a really close friend that we stopped, we stopped talking because we disagreed on the COVID mm-hmm. thing. And yeah. really on her end, she stopped talking to me because she's like, I don't know, she was over it. But, um, you know, it's somebody that I know for a long time intelligent person not you yeah. know not loves her kids she's a kind person in most aspects of her life She means
2: well right
0: but this particular thing just makes her crazy
2: she doesn't have the kind of time that it requires a person to
1: i don't i'm
2: a housewife so i literally have all of the time in the world to sit here and fact check all of this stuff and i try my best And I'm still not able to weed through all of it. How about a person with a job, with kids, with expectations, car, uh, bills, all these things that you have to, like, occupy your time, and you're supposed to be fact-checking everything the media puts out? That's an impossible. Yeah. That's an impossible.
0: Well, and that's also why you need to stop watching certain things, but that's just my... MSNBC might as well be called Videodrome.
2: <laughs> they, 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 they need to get clued into the fact that they're being lied to, and that can only come as a self-realization. People I think that's a hard thing for people to admit. over and over and over again that I was being lied to, and I would have yeah. none of it. Not until I felt it for myself, and that was a painful process. Yeah. So I think most people who bump up against that painful process will do everything in their power not to experience it. Yeah. And say, oh my gosh, get me away from this cognitive dissonance that's about to cause me pain. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I I don't... I have a much more sympathetic outlook, I think, on the the wacky left. Um, yeah. Pretty much up until you become a tanky, and then you're like, some people need to be gotten rid of for the good of society. <laughs> I don't gel with those people. Yeah. But otherwise, like, <laughs> even the LP people, who I find to be silly and ridiculous, I just kind of they're my little babies. They're my sweet little babies. They just, they're <laughs> adorable and they don't know any better. God bless them.
0: I mean, you just know, gonna, like, it just goes back to this whole thing where it's like when you open up the, you know, the beginning of a movie, you realize like the main character is this pornographer. He, you know, he likes to watch uh hardcore violence, right? He's not a good guy. He, I mean, uh, he not necessarily that respectful to women and yeah. then you come to the end where he's about to he did apologize
2: himself. for hitting that woman <laughs> that's <laughs> he true he was At sorry he that. what else do you want from him
0: but you know you get to the end and even though you know all of that information about him you know you still you saw the humanity in him and you saw the way that he was being mistreated and being used and you still had sympathy for him. And that's that's how we should look at everybody, really. Yeah,
2: I agree. So, I,
0: agree. I think that's a very powerful I don't even know if that was something that Cronenberg intend, intended but that's how it worked out.
2: So, From my understanding of Cronenberg, he intends for you to make what you will out of his films. Yeah. That's something that he has said himself maybe not in those exact words but that you know he doesn't put out what everything means in his movies that's good I he, like that yeah he wants you on some level to like um get something for yourself out of it and I, I I'm a big believer in that I think that art is a private conversation between the person looking at the art and and uh the art itself and that the creator is not part of the conversation at that point mm-hmm. so like what I get out of a when I look at a Pollock painting for example. Jackson Pollock has nothing to do with that. He is yeah. long dead and the conversation that I have with his painting in my soul when I look at it has nothing to do with him
1: yeah it
0: always it, and that's one of the reasons why I like when I find like a writer that I really like or or an actor or you know anything I don't try now to now writing dig too I deep. feel
2: very different about I, I think that writing is the opposite. And you actually get to have a private conversation with somebody who lived thousands of years ago, potentially, depending on how old the piece of writing you have. Yeah, I guess I can see that. So like I guess my, what
0: I, where I was going with that is with Kurt Vonnegut is one of my favorite authors of all time. And I think actually a lot of his writings are very much like um, a good argument for uh, for anarchism, anarchism in, in a way. For
2: sure. Yeah. I also think it's very David Lynchy in it. Yeah. in its way,
0: he but he um you know before he died, he was on like some show. I think it was politically incorrect. I can't remember, but he stood up and he said I'm a socialist and this is why and it was so disappointing to see him say that because yeah. I never got that in his work. I did see him looking at people who were
2: a lot of really brilliant people socialists. And I wish we didn't have such um label anxiety Yeah, because like I just recently read Kropkin's Conquest of Bread and that is a commie fucking commie book like yeah. straight up a commie book and shockingly I agreed with quite a lot of it mm-hmm. and I'm not suggesting bottom unity or yada 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 so please do not at me on twitter what I'm saying is that we get um afraid of how people classify themselves to the point where we won't listen to them Yes. And like, that's not good. Like, I'm glad, I mean,
0: with, with Vonnegut, I'm so glad that I read all, like as much as I did before he had that speech. Cause I don't know if I would have given him a chance after that.
2: Right. Right. And that would have been unfortunate because it is, his work has meant so much to you.
0: And if I would have had a chance to actually talk to him, I would have actually asked him like, well, what, what did you mean by like his character, Mr. Rosewater? Uh, th- what is it god bless you mr rosewater which is one of the best books he's ever written it's such a heartfelt book um and because the character does a lot of things to help people who are uh, you know disenfranchised financially ruined you know they have everything against him and he tries to help them and i was like to me that is like a book about What we as anarchists really believe in charity, Mm -hmm. like it, we don't wait for the government to do it; we do it ourselves. You
2: you had a private conversation with the work, and the work said something to you that the writer did not say. And so, even though the writer wrote it, he did not say that (laughs) you had a private conversation, thus proving my theory. Thank you. Good night. (laughs) All right.
0: Well, with that, because we've almost had a two-hour conversation.
2: No, I didn't mean it that way, but I would <laughs> just You probably should end it though. I was just giving myself <laughs> credit.
0: <laughs> but yes, um, yeah, I agree. I did. And I think I, I'm gonna do that with anything. Because I think that sometimes, like, even if I were to write something and tell everybody this is what I meant, yeah. there's gonna be so many things that I'm not even aware of that I put into the book or put into my work that I subconsciously that might mean something other than what I actually think, if that
2: makes sense. Yeah. Um. I watched a Jordan Peterson lecture today that talks about this very thing, oddly <laughs> enough. Um, and he said, you know, you have values you don't know about. Yeah. And you, your conscious mind only can preference so many thoughts at a day. And you can't consider every little angle of every little thing that makes up you all of the time. And so that's why you might find yourself attracted to a partner who you know is wrong for you all in all the ways is because you actually have a set of value preferences that you're not even aware of right that happen so split second in your mind that are based on so many different avenues of complication that make up why you are who you are it's impossible for um economists and scientists and central planners to quantify personal value because it is so complicated i was like man Peterson just knows how to get right to the core of a thing.
0: A perfect example of that is abortion. Because I know so many women that will say they are pro-abortion, but they find out they're pregnant. And then, or they have a miscarriage or something, and they realize, Mm -hmm. like, they love that baby even before they saw it. Yep. So that just, that's a perfect example. There
2: are women who, you know, they think they're pregnant, and they're scared, and they don't know what to do, and oh my gosh. And then it turns out they're not pregnant, and they're really disappointed. Yeah. And it was like, wow, you might not have realized how much you actually wanted to be a mother. Right. Um, yeah. I'm sure that will be blamed on, you know, women's uh, flightiness or what, what have you. But yeah, there, there's <laughs> actually like a, a, a really good argument made by a really smart doctor, uh, Jordan Peterson, again, that, that you – have a set of values that you might not be aware of. And um, that that's why art, I think speaks differently to different people because mm-hmm. you're writing things that other people will pick up on that speak to their subconscious values that they're not aware that they have. So yeah, that's why again, like everybody hates Jackson Pollock. Like every <laughs> time I mention Jackson Pollock, people go, Ugh. and I'm like, yeah, but you know what? When I stand in front of one of those, I have, music. I don't know what it is exactly, but I have a conversation with those artworks. And Mm -hmm. Jackson Pollock was a piece of shit. Like, as a human being, I think he was awful. (laughs) But there's something about his paintings that talks to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, This is a whole other podcast we could have on a different day, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, since we're, okay, since we're gonna get towards the end there, um, and I think we pretty much, I mean, I think we broke apart that movie and mm-hmm. brought so many parallels like it, there's so many movies that would not be have made if it wasn't for a video drone in my opinion sure.
1: yeah.
0: um and we talked about those um anything else you wanted to add to it before we
2: um say goodbye yeah definitely just uh read read books that you're not allowed to read you know, yeah, do you it now, you're, for sure. You're not supposed yeah, especially right now before censorship <laughs> kicks in. But like, even if you're in group, like if you're an anar, anarcho capitalist, read some communist literature. Not because I think you should be convinced to be a communist, but that you should understand what other people are saying, especially people who disagree with you. If anything, so that you can make more effective arguments against communists. Right. But more than that, so that you can have a well rounded, enriched um, intellectual garden yeah. to run around in and choose things from and yeah. so in that vein just don't just read Rothbard don't just read the people who agree with you read the people you think you think disagree with you because you're going to find out and that's an exciting uh, journey for you
0: it should be yes
2: it should be yes
0: <laughs> be open to it is the key yes um Any plugs, Jessica?
2: Oh, sure. Um, If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm Libertarian Kitchen Witch, um, L-I-B-T-K-I-T Witch. Um, Also, I have a YouTube channel, The Jessica Green Show. You can also type in Libertarian Kitchen Witch. I'll come up that way as well. Um, I have a blog, The Libertarian Kitchen Witch, which is on WordPress. Um, That's mainly recipes and food history, if you're interested in that kind of thing. So, yeah, those are all my things.
0: All right. And for those of you guys who want to follow us, um, you can always follow us. Mostly we're more active on Instagram at Voluntary Vixens and Facebook at Voluntary Vixens. And we're picking up a little bit more on Twitter at Vixens Voluntary. And um, we have a parlor that is there in case we pretty much get kicked off of everything else. But we're not really active (laughs) on it now. And um, we also have a Patreon that we um, we just kind of let money accrue right now. We've um, we've used it mostly for charity type situations. So, you know, we kind of let money accrue until something happens where we might need to help somebody. So if you're interested in donating to that, our Patreon is um, Vixens underscore voluntary. And I think that's pretty much it. I guess we'll just leave it here and um, I'll just repeat Maddie's little saying which is keep it sane and keep it peaceful and keep it voluntary with the new flesh <laughs>